Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Polling Place 2021. This is news editor Grace Kinnicott, and we had news reporter John Murray sit down with the mayoral candidates of Bloomington and in Normal, asking them why they are running for mayor and why voters should vote for them. Enjoy. Bloomington mayoral candidate Jackie Gunderson is fresh off a bid for McLean County Board, but now she's turned her attention to seeking the mayor's office. Jackie, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. We'll get right into it. Your common message in that campaign for McLean County Board and now for your mayoral campaign is the idea of inclusivity. So tell me, after being unsuccessful in that race, what led you to pivot towards the mayoral opening? Tell me why you're running why you're the best candidate. Sure. So I think it's important to note that before I ever considered running for office, it has always been my mission to try to contribute positively to my community. And for me, that has always meant rolling up my sleeves and just trying to leave it better than I found it. Um, But that's always been through nonprofit work, volunteer work, and even in my professional life, just making sure that the work that I'm doing, the time that I'm spending is benefiting this community because I do love this community. Um, I don't, I don't hate this community. I'm not running to change a bunch of things. I'm running because I think that this community has an opportunity to continue to grow and develop and be inclusive of the amazing people that call this home. And so part of why I decided to run was I felt like I was being called to run because this is a little different than the ways that I've been rolling up my sleeves. And I decided to run because I think Bloomington deserves an average everyday working person that's committed to transforming our government to be more accessible to everyday working people and to make our city more welcoming and inclusive and equitable across so many different issues. And I bring the perspective of somebody who lives on the West Side and who does work full-time and have a small business and run a nonprofit. And nothing that I have done in my life has come easy to me. I've had to work really hard for all of the things that I have and the things that I've been able to accomplish. And I want to challenge that status quo. Start thinking outside the box. Just because something has always worked a way that it has, maybe this pandemic, if nothing else, shines a light on the places that maybe we can let some things go. Maybe we can do something different and challenge that status quo, right? And so for me, especially when it comes to people, I want to think about are we doing the bare minimum? Are we checking the boxes because we have to? Or are we going above and beyond and centering the people who choose to live and work here as the most important component to any decision we make? All of that is embedded in the City of Bloomington's vision and mission. Nothing that I'm proposing is anything radical. It's just a shift in our mindset to start thinking of impactful and equitable solutions that puts people first. So you touched on it there a little bit, but I want to give you a chance to elaborate if you'd like. Why should voters trust that you're the right choice? I'm uniquely positioned as someone who has rolled up their sleeves, as someone who is doing that work. I think I'm uniquely positioned to bring that perspective. Um, And I I also want to just say I am a service-centered, inclusive, and results-driven person. And I think all of those are characteristics that we need in a mayor. I already said I'm not afraid of rolling up my sleeves. And I think 
my focus on putting people first is really is unique because I'm so focused on inclusion because I know what exclusion feels like. And I think all three candidates are all in this for the right reasons. We just bring different backgrounds and different experiences to the table. And I want to bring everything in my power to break past that politics as usual, those ruts that we've gotten in, the things that are no longer serving the city, and start to work towards a more collaborative government that is effective and equitable at the same time. Because I think sometimes we forget about the people and the human components, right? When we think of efficiencies in the bottom line, we forget that there are humans tied to each of those decisions that we make That is my focus, is making sure that we don't forget those people, and especially the people who have never had a seat at the table. I want to make sure that they are included and and feel like they're valued pieces of our community as well. While we're on the topic of your past experiences, tell Bloomington voters how those past experiences will help you in being a good mayor should you be elected. Yeah, so I think that's a great focus to think about, right? So I really consider myself fortunate to live in this community and the value that this community has on individuals and the unique light that each person brings to this community. I came here for ISU. I never left because I loved it here, and I saw the potential for how great this place can be compared to where I came from. And I got involved with working with people with disabilities in my special ed background at ISU and then working with Mark First and then my many years as the Penguin Project Director. And those experiences have really helped me see from a different perspective all the places that our society is prioritizing ability even when we don't think that we are. And it really changed my personal view of, of really how inclusivity could look and how we can do better to start to think about those things, even though it doesn't affect us directly, how does it affect our neighbors? The other thing is my professional work, as well as my nonprofit work, has given me the opportunity to be a leader and leading a group of people while also fostering that ethical culture of always doing what's right. It's not easy to always do what's right. You don't make a lot of friends when you are the person who's asking people to do things the right way. And that's okay because it has taught me how to lead a group of people in doing those things that aren't always fun and aren't always glamorous, right? And so I also have so many people and organizations and experiences in this town to thank for teaching me how to be a collaborative leader. Bringing groups of people together is my strength. And working together, collaborating, I think is such an important piece of a thriving community. And giving people the opportunity to collaborate and to contribute when maybe they've never had that opportunity is something that I'm really interested in doing. And nobody gets where they are by doing it alone. And so linking arms with each other And getting on the same page because we all want the city to be better. Nobody's in this because they want the city to be worse. So finding ways to connect with people and helping them know that their contributions are valuable and not expecting them to be the ones that reach out and share those things. I want to shift gears a little bit here for a second. Even though the country as a whole is starting to kind of round the corner from the pandemic, Uh, There are still lots of residents, lots of small businesses, business owners locally that they're still going to need the mayor's help in some form or fashion. So how will you help 
any and everyone who may need it from a mayor, Jackie Gunderson? Yeah, so I think that's really important to note that I think COVID recovery and response is going to be a long-term um, issue. And I think it also is going to be embedded in most of the things that we do for the next few years. And the full impact is probably not going to be fully felt for two to three years. And so making sure that when we think about that long-term recovery, we're focusing on, on the unmet needs through the pandemic. There is a lot of people who have applied for the aid, the money that already exists, that are stuck in these cycles of bureaucracy and who are still stuck. And so making sure that we're making that accessible, that we're finding that aid and getting it to the people who need it the most. Maybe that's families that are struggling. Maybe that's locally owned small businesses that are struggling to keep their doors open. And thinking about all decisions that we make from here on out are going to have to be kind of laced with this COVID recovery because it's going to affect us for a few years and it's going to affect our neighbors. And so one of the main things I want to bring to the table is thinking about especially our COVID recovery as a collaborative effort with the other local governmental bodies, so Normal and McLean County, and working together to ensure that we don't have this false sense of security or that we think we're back to normal and then end up having, you know, another wave or another big issue. And and so I think advocating for intergovernmental collaboration, especially when it comes to COVID recovery, is something that it's going to take. And it's going to have to be a comprehensive approach because it's a complex problem and it touches a lot of different places in municipal government. So my eyes are not blinded to the fact that COVID recovery is absolutely going to be a huge component of the first few years if I am elected, I think. I think it's going to be kind of touching most of the stuff that we we focus on. And so understanding that there's, again, a human component to each of those decisions that we make and make sure that all of the important players are brought to the table to help problem solve together. Well, you bring up an important point that there are many layers to this economic recovery I want to hone in on getting help to the businesses and people who need it. Your opponents look at things like infrastructure, accelerating economic growth, things of that nature as their ways to get things moving again. Now, the three of you have different approaches on the means by which you would guide the city to the end. If you could explain how you differ from your opponents, even though it's agreeable that, yes, all three of those things are important, what led you to believe your specific approach is the best fit for the city as recovery continues? Sure. So I think you hit it right on the head. All three of those things are important, and it needs to be comprehensive. There's no one single focus in this that is more important than the others. And so I think it is our job to make sure that the decisions that we're making are benefiting the people who elected us and even the people who didn't elect us. A big piece of that is also advocating in the places that it's not on the city of Bloomington. They've done what they can. Getting that assistance, um, right, that needs to come from, from higher up than us. And so our residents are asking us to be the people who reach out to the state and reach out to federal and advocate for that money to then be brought to the area. And I think for me, the city of Bloomington is doing very well financially, and they have not had to tap into their own resources at all to help residents. 
but maybe we use some of those rainy day funds to hire some temporary staff to help people complete these applications, process the paperwork, ensure the funds that we have advocated for the city of Bloomington are actually getting into the hands of the business owners and the people who need it. You know, I think we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that means those things that were put into place temporarily, like eviction moratoriums, are going to expire. And all of a sudden, these people who have been struggling to get this funding are also going to have additional expenses and potentially other things going on. And so whenever we think of anything like this, it's important to note that there are really important aspects, like you mentioned, but also that there are funds set aside that aren't in the hands of business owners and are not in the hands of direct aid to individuals for their rent, their utilities, for their emergency um, funding, right? And and how we do better to make sure that, you know, when 186 people apply for something and 100 of them are still in a queue waiting for the paperwork to be processed, there's probably a problem there, right? There maybe needs to be a different approach to using some of the funds to have some additional resources to get that process. And maybe that also looks like using some funds to help the McLean County Health Department get through the vaccines, right? Because they're the ones responsible for it, but the city should be helping as well. And then once we've met people's needs, there's going to be long-term effects to this as well. And that is when we need to be strategic about infrastructure and about the decisions we make that maybe were complicated by COVID. So there's no one right answer. We're all doing this for the first time um, and we're doing the best we can. And I don't think that hyper-focusing on one specific piece of it is helpful to the broader community. It's not helpful for the long-term recovery. What kinds of things are we making decisions on that are gonna then affect the people who live here and the people who work here? When Dealing with matters of policy, as we've been discussing here, oftentimes voters don't share the same foresight, the same long-term outlook that politicians oftentimes have when planning their vision with something like economic recovery one, two, three, four plus years out from the onset of COVID. Voters oftentimes look at things more in the short term and specifically how it affects them and their lives. So I ask you, Jackie, how would your approach, your way of handling these issues, what you would do, how would that affect the lives of the people and businesses of Bloomington? So I think it's important to note that the mayor gets a lot of attention and gets a lot of flack for a person who is part-time person who doesn't have a vote on the city council. That is how it works in the city of Bloomington. We have a city manager style of government. And so there is a full-time city manager who receives a generous salary to be a full-time employee. The mayor does not. And the mayor does not have a vote on the city council unless there is a tie. And so part of what I talked about earlier is about that collaboration and the collective contributions. And being that voice as a mayor is so important because really the mayor's job is to keep all of the different plates spinning and not crashing into each other and bringing the whole thing down. And so I want to really, really focus on that collaboration within the city council, with the city manager, and with all of the different departments. And part of that means a lot of listening. I don't expect to step into the role and start 
shifting things drastically in the first, you know, month in my, in my role because I need to listen and I need to understand where the gaps are, what we're lacking in, where our shortcomings are. And I think it, first of all, calls for a comprehensive needs and efficiency review um, across all of the different departments and with each of the city council members within their unique needs of their ward because there are unique needs across the city. I live in one of the oldest neighborhoods with some of the most terrible infrastructure. I know that that matters to the people who live near me because they've told me that, but I don't know what matters to people in every single ward unless I hear that from them or from their city council member. And so a big piece of coming in as a mayor that wants to collaborate means that I have to take a minute and build those relationships and listen to the people who have an insight into the gaps or the places where maybe the pandemic has shined a light on something we could be doing more efficiently because we had to because of COVID and now maybe it could be put in place long-term. And then starting to think about putting plans in place that are long-term and not just immediate gratification, right? I think it's really important that we start to think about the council moving past commissioning more and more studies and taking votes and really start moving on the recommendations that the hardworking folks who are volunteering their time on the boards and commissions, those things that they bring forward, that's a lot of work, and they are volunteers. They should feel valued, and they should feel like the work that they've done need to make it farther than the council just shutting them down and not listening to them. And I think I've talked to several people that serve on different boards and commissions, and that has been a frustration of theirs. And almost all of our boards and commissions have openings right now. And I want to make sure that when I appoint people to those, that not only am I trying to bring a diverse perspective of who I'm putting in those positions, but that their work is valued when they sit in those seats. You've never held elected office before. What do you say to the skeptics, those who maybe question how your past experience is useful, your age, qualifications? What do you say to voters who are worried about your inexperience? You know, I am young, and I know that. I am almost 20 years younger than both of my opponents. Every person who's held elected office at one point didn't hold elected office, right? That's how it works. I know that I'm young, and I know that I've never served in that capacity before, but I have served in leadership positions, and I've worked really hard in each of the positions that I've worked in. I come from a humble background, and my parents couldn't pay for me to go to college, so I started working full-time when I was 16 years old, and I never stopped. I've worked full-time the entire time I was in college. I am currently a full-time student working full-time, running a nonprofit, running a small business. Um, and all of that is to say there is no amount of hustle in me that is untapped. And that doesn't mean that I am rosy-colored glasses about the, the struggles that a mayor faces, but I believe that I have built a lot of resiliency over the years I am a manager at ISU, a procurement manager, and that is a compliance-focused position, reporting to the state of Illinois, holding my colleagues accountable for spending public money in the way that the state of Illinois says that we have to and being good stewards of that. And a compliance-focused job is not fun by any means, but I have a great team of people that I work with that is passionate about making sure that we do what's right, that ethical culture, right, and making sure that 
we're bringing people along with us, not just saying this is what you have to do, but this is why we do it this way. This is the way that the university wants us to do it. This is the way the state of Illinois wants us to do it. And this is how we get there. My previous job was a safety coordinator, which is also very <laughs> compliance focused on OSHA um, guidelines. And again, nobody wants to hear from the safety coordinator when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And so most of my career, I spent time figuring out how to approach those tough topics in a way that doesn't turn people against me. Because ultimately, in both of those, those roles in my career, my job was to keep people safe and keep people secure. And so I've built a lot of resiliency in those roles. My spouse and I are small business owners. We opened our business two weeks into the pandemic. We'd been planning for two whole years to open our business. And two weeks before our grand opening, the pandemic hit. I am not somebody who is coming to this without the broad shoulders of someone who has had to work really hard for all of the things that I've had in life. And that I also know that my experiences are mine alone, but that there are other people in this community that maybe haven't had their voice heard. Maybe they have been excluded. Maybe they have um, just not had the opportunity. And so, you know, it's an incredible amount of privilege to be able to put my name on the ballot. And I don't come at it from the same perspective as, as a lot of people. Um, you know, the current mayor, he is a professor at Wesleyan. He has flexibility in his role. Um, some other mayors may have been already retired from their full-time job or are entrepreneurs and, and can afford to take on a part-time position um, and have the flexibility. It's taking an incredible amount of um, flexibility on my family for me to run for this. But I think, I think it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that that's not accessible to everyone. Those seats on the city council are not accessible to everyone. The, even the boards and commissions. Um, some people have never been told that their opinion is valued and that they could really support some really important initiatives for the city that they care about and that they, they choose to live in. And so I think some of that for me is just looking at it from a place of I have had to work hard for everything that I have and I will continue to do that. I think people should have to work hard and when I'm elected, I'm not going to change that focus. I want to still be held accountable. I want to still show people that I'm willing to work hard for the things that matter. If you were to win this election, you would become Bloomington's first openly queer mayor. What does that mean to you and what do you think that means to members of the LGBTQ community here in town? Well, first I can't wait until the day when we don't have to celebrate that because representation matters. I'm not sure if I talked about it at all, but I have been the lead facilitator for an LGBT youth group for the last almost five years. In June, it'll be five years. And I have given up my Friday night, every Friday night for the last almost five years to create a space where teenagers who are navigating being LGBTQ are able to just come and be safe in who they are, whoever that might be, for an hour a week or two hours a week. And I think for me, I was talking earlier, inclusion for me comes from a place of I have in this very community that we live in, been excluded from places for being LGBTQ. And my spouse is treated differently as a person who is um, non-binary. And I have seen that. And I look forward to the day 
when this isn't something to celebrate, when this isn't something that is any different, that we've had 10 queer mayors and that it's not something crazy to think about me living authentically as the person that I am. And I think when we live authentically, we make space for other people to do so. I have an incredible amount of privilege to be able to do this as an openly queer person. And I think representation matters so much because I didn't come out until I was an adult, until I was in college, because I didn't know that this was okay. When we make space for that, other people can lean into those places where maybe they have been excluded, maybe they haven't been represented. Um, And it's not my sexuality, my sexual orientation is not going to affect how I govern, but it does give space for people to understand that I am just a person who happens to wear all of these different hats and that I do it loudly and I'm safe to do so because not everybody is safe to do so. And so as the first openly queer mayor, it's a check mark for our city to say it matters that people who look like us and live like us represent us. And I think on that same thread, we've only had one female mayor in the entire history of Bloomington. It's 2021. And me being a woman doesn't qualify me more than anyone else, but it also matters. I think being a woman gives me a unique perspective. I've lived life as a woman my whole life. I grew up with all brothers. I have worked in male-dominated fields. And I've navigated a lot of those invisible barriers that my two opponents don't have to navigate. Those are barriers that I had to climb over to get to this point, just like being a queer person. And I hope that it paves the way for people behind me to say, like, oh, look, there is a space now for me. There is a trail because she was able to do it. Why can't I? Last question for you. Imagine this is your last opportunity to talk to the voters of Bloomington. What message do you want to leave them with? Well, I think it's important to note that I am an average everyday working person. I come to this from a perspective of someone who has worked to get to this point. And I decided to run as an everyday working person because I think local government should be more accessible to people like me and you and the people who are potentially seeing me run as a person who is like them. And Also, I have proven to this community that I am willing to roll my sleeves up, that I'm willing to show up, I'm willing to listen, and I'm willing to work alongside people who are different from me and no longer ignore lived realities of people who are literally my neighbors because they make me uncomfortable or because they're different than my lived experience and not kick that can down the road. We live in the happiest city in America as of 2020. And I think it's a, it is important that elected officials have a responsibility to start to acknowledge the places where we have shortcomings. And that is not a dig on the community. It's an opportunity for us to do better. We only can do that if we're listening to the people whose lived experiences say there is an issue. Coming at issues with a blanket statement that will serve all nine wards or all 80,000 people that live in Bloomington is not effective. And looking at things from an equitable equitable standpoint is that we meet the unique needs of the different neighborhoods and of the different people who call this home. I am passionate. I am a hard worker. And I love this city. I want to continue to 
uplift it and serve it in a way that doesn't leave people behind. And I think it's also just really important to note, local elections really do matter. We had a record turnout in November. People showed up that haven't ever voted before. But the municipal elections, these local elections, your day-to-day life is affected by the people that you elect. And we had a historic low turnout in all of our municipal elections, where 20% of our registered voters, which isn't even 20% of our community, shows up for a municipal election and decides our future. And so I just want to encourage people to show up, to bring your friends and your family, and to be a part of the change you want to see locally. And what I'm asking is for the vote of someone who wants to see change that's equitable and that is building on the strengths of the city that are already in place and not dismantling the things that serve our city, but maybe getting rid of the things that no longer serve our city. And I just want people to know that I bring a lot of passion for that. And I also just really look forward to rolling my sleeves up and continuing to uplift this community in a new way and with a new hat on. Jackie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. That was Bloomington mayoral candidate Jackie Gunderson, one of three candidates vying to become Bloomington's next mayor. Find more information at our website, vedetteonline.com.